I hate movies where the bad guy wins. Like, some people like that. I'm not one of them. Like, I hate it when the bad guy wins. So, No Country for Old Men, a lot of people loved it. All right? And I liked the acting. I liked the actors that are in it. I was okay with the storyline. Spoiler alert here. Sorry. Right up until the end, when the bad guy, Shigur, fixes his broken arm and just walks away. And that's how the movie basically ends. It, the, you know, the next scene is the sheriff who's now retired and just given up on the manhunt. The bad guy gets away. And I hate watching movies like that because we see it in real life. right? We don't always see the good guy win in real life. Sometimes, many times perhaps, we see the bad guy win. Uh, and it can be in a violent way like that, but it can also be in other ways. So, are you familiar with Enron? If you're familiar with Enron, or if you're not familiar with Enron, Enron was a utility, like a, an energy company, uh, that started a long time ago, but really got big in the late 80s and early 90s when they commoditized natural gas. And uh, they made huge amounts of money as natural gas was deregulated by the federal government. Uh, and so Enron was making all of this money. And then that allowed them to get into other sectors as well. So they got into electricity. And uh, one of the things they did was California, obviously, a lot of people uses a lot of electricity. But Enron would purposely make energy shortages. And then they would sell. Their, they had plenty of electricity to go around, right? But then they would sell it at these high prices. It's kind of like what they do with diamonds, right? You keep the supply back so the, the price stays high, supply and demand. Well, they used that. They said, we're not going to give you that much electricity. And so it increased the price and increased the price. Plus, they did rolling blackouts through California during one of the hottest summers on record. And people could not... They didn't have the electricity during certain hours of the day for air conditioning, and then they couldn't afford the electricity when it was on. And so you had people having heat strokes and going to the hospital, all because they were doing this. And meanwhile, the traders of the electricity who would sell the electricity to these municipalities were getting rich, filthy, filthy rich off of these people's suffering. And if you know the complete story of Enron... Uh, basically, they made a bunch of bad investments and they hid all that on these other related companies that were really just also Enron, but it allowed them to keep these bad investments off the book. And so Enron looked like this great investment and they convinced most of their employees and many other people to dump their entire retirement into Enron stock. And Enron stock looked great. It shot up. It was like $60 a share in 2000. It looked wonderful. People were like, yes, this is awesome. But that business model only works for so long. Like, it caught up to them in California. They got in some legal trouble. And the fact that they were losing money, even though on paper it didn't look like that, in reality they were losing money and they were going to have to file for bankruptcy. And so right before they made the announcement that they were going to have to file for bankruptcy, all of their board members sold off hundreds of millions of dollars in stock. Just a select few, we're talking like 20 people. While the rest of them, all the workers, the working class of Enron who had their retirement set in that, couldn't sell their shares, had no idea this was coming. And at 10.30 on the morning, they made the announcement, 
Enron stock went from $60 a share to less than $1 a share. And so you have all these people who are out of not only their retirement, but their job too, because Enron's gone. It's going under. A couple of people did see jail time, so there was some justice there. But one of the CEOs went on after that to be the second largest landowner in Colorado. He owns, still to this day, owns ranches in Virginia and Texas, and he flies back and forth, and he has all this stuff. And you're like, what? how is that guy who duped all of these people into making these bad decisions with all these false claims and made people in California physically suffer, how is that guy still living this way? That's not fair. And if you were one of those Enron employees whose job is now gone, and retirement is now gone, what might your prayer life look like in that case? Probably have a lot of questions, right? And maybe some of you have had situations like that where you've been totally lied to and taken advantage of and the person has got off and got away with it. You're like, man, how did that happen? Where's the justice in this? I, who've been trying to do the right thing who've been trying to make my living honestly. How am I the one suffering and they're just living the high life? God, where is the fairness in that? And where are you in that? I want to read Psalm 10 because Psalm 10 really speaks to this. So if you'll turn with me there. It's on page 310 if you're uh, using the Bible in the pew. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boast of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages, in hiding places. He murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws them into his net, the helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. O rise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? But you do see. For you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. 
Call His wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is King forever and ever. The nations perish from His land. O Lord, You hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline Your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. As we read Psalm 10, Psalm 10 is actually a continuation of Psalm 9. Uh, They are, uh, in fact, some ancient manuscripts have them as all one big psalm. And they're what's known as an acrostic poem. And so an acrostic poem is where you take like each letter of the alphabet and put it in alphabetical order and then start each stanza that way. So Psalm 9 makes up the first half of the Hebrew alphabet and Psalm 10 makes up the second half of it. And Psalm 9 is this really like happy sounding. It's remembering all the times God has done exactly what they're praying for in Psalm 10. They're remembering when God stood up for the oppressed. They're remembering when God struck the wicked down. And it's a really happy tone. that You're like, yes, yes, because it's easy to cheer and know God is there when things are going well, right? Like... It's easy to be a Patriots fan, right? Because things are just perpetually going well here. Right? If you are under 20 years old, you have not seen the Patriots be bad. Like, what if you're a Cleveland Browns fan, though? Not so easy to be a Cleveland Browns fan. They haven't done much ever. All right? It's much harder to be a Cleveland Browns fan because things aren't going that well. I got this to get a drink. I'm going to take it now. well, we can find our spiritual lives the same way. When things are going well, it's easy to feel like God is near, like He's there. You're like, God, you're answering all my prayers. Life is going great. You know, the wicked have been judged. The innocent have been protected. This is awesome, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I feel your presence. But then what happens when all of a sudden it looks like your prayers aren't being answered? When the bad guy is winning, now it's much easier to say as the psalmist cried out, God, where are you? What happened? Why are you far away now when I need you most? Like It was great to have you close when things were going well, but things aren't going well now. Where are you? Why would you leave me during this time? You can look, I mean, a number of things can cause us to do that. On a grand scale, you could look at things going on in the world, right? You could look at the sex trade, and you could see all these people who are making lots and lots of money, exploiting little girls and little boys and women who cannot help themselves. You can look at that and say, God, why? Why are they prospering in this? Why? You could look at what ISIS is doing in the Middle East and it could lead you to that where you're like, why are they being allowed to do this? Why are our brothers and sisters in Christ being beheaded and no one sticking up for them? You can look, you can, you know, look throughout history, you can look at a guy like Stalin who ran a terrible regime for 30 years unopposed. He died in the comfort of his own confines. Like he wasn't deposed. And look at that. And it could lead you like, God, why would you allow a man like that to run so much of the world for so long. You can look at it at a much smaller scale in your personal life. Maybe somebody is oppressing you at work. 
maybe somebody is oppressing you at school, a neighbor is oppressing you. You can look at all these things, and they seem to be getting away with it. Right? The guy who has run over half the staff, and yet he's the one getting the promotions. He is the one making the most money. He's the one driving the new car and the bigger house. You go, why, God, is that guy able to do that? When I'm here, I'm working things the right way, trying to honor you and not succeeding. I'm just making it day to day, paycheck to paycheck. So there are many things that could lead us to say that. When we just look at the immediate, when we just look at what's happening right now, say, God, where are you right now? And many people look at that and say, God, they, the, the person must be right. God mustn't care, because if he did, this wouldn't be occurring. That guy must be right, that God's not really looking, and, and God, if he exists, is some far-off person who doesn't really care that much. But they must be right, because they're getting away with all of that. But that's not where this psalmist goes. He cries out. He, right, he is crying about this. He is lamenting about this. But then he gets to the point where he says, but you do hear. He says, you have been a helper to the fatherless. He looks back and he says, I know what the current situation looks like right now. But I also know what you have done, God. I've seen what you have done in the past. And I know that because of that, you don't change. You do see what's going on. You do hear the cries. You do hear my cry. And you will act. You will act. And that's where the psalm ends. The psalm ends with hope. The psalm doesn't end with, you are doing it right now, or it's already been done, but that you will act. The psalmist is confident because of what God has already done in the past that He will continue to do it in the future. He will bring justice to those who have done wrong. He will bring justice to those who are oppressing the poor, who are oppressing the weak. Justice is going to come. Says God you know, that He will strike the nations from the land. There's never been a person who has outlasted God. They've all died. Every evil regime has come to an end. Every evil regime that is now will come to an end. Every evil regime, anything like that in the future, will come to an end. God outlasts it all. The psalmist takes great comfort in that. And we should as well. Because we don't always get to see the justice right here, right now. One of my favorite preachers is a guy named Alistair Bagg. And I, can't, I wish I could do his accent. He's a Scotsman. I can't do it. But he, I remember hearing a, a, a sermon by him, and it was at a similar point in my life where I was just kind of feeling, I was feeling like, God, are you hearing me right now? And Alistair said, I'm not promising you that it is all right now, but that it is going to be all right. In the end, God wins. God will bring justice in the end. And we have to set our hope both on what God has done and on the promise that He will do it again. Because it's tough. It's tough when you're in the midst of it to say, yes, God is here. God loves me. God cares for me. 
God cares for us. He cares what's going on down here on earth. He cares. But we've got to do it. And we have to start just like this psalm did. So the first thing we do when we are going through this, let us remember what God has done in the past. We can first look, of course, to God's greatest act in all of history. He sent God the Son, Jesus, down to earth. His only begotten Son to die on the cross for us. If He paid that price, if He invested so much in us, He's not going to suddenly abandon us. Right? You don't, you don't invest in something and then say, oh, I'm done with this. Right? Who does that? Nobody does that. You know? In fact, it's quite the opposite. When you see people invest in something, we were actually talking about this this morning, like if you see people invest in fantasy football, they're all about fantasy football like 24-7. Like, because they have big money invested in it. God sent His only Son. There no bigger investment could have been made. God's not going to abandon you. He has not left you. He is not far off from you now. He's there. God has given us His Holy Spirit. If you believe in Jesus, you've received His Holy Spirit. It's called, they call it the Holy Spirit the down payment, a deposit. We've received that. It's a wonderful thing. God with us. So even if it feels like He is far off, He is not. He is not. We can look back. We can see what God has already done. And it's more than just that, of course. Um, You know, I was thinking about money uh, and how it does seem like people who are willing to, you know, stab whoever it is in the back to get ahead. They they do. They end up getting ahead. They make money. They make more money than I'm making now. They drive nicer cars than I drive now. They take more vacations and all of that. And I want to be like, that isn't fair. Look at that. Like, I'm trying to do things the right way. And I'm, you know, I'm making it, but not by much. But then I remember what God has done for me. How God has acted on my behalf and my family's behalf in the past. There have been times where um, when we were, had only been married a couple years, I might have shared this story with a few of you before, um, but we were down, like, we weren't going to make rent that month. It was Sarah and I were both working at Starbucks at the time. I was a full-time student. We had Jacqueline, and living in New England is expensive no matter where you live. And it's like, man, we're, we're not going to make it. It looks like we're going to end up packing up and probably have to go back to Colorado because this is not working out. And somebody, a man from our church, when we were going to Seven Mile Road in Malden, just came up handed me a card, said, hey, you know, you guys have really been on my heart and in my prayers, and um, I wanted you to have this. And so we get to, we waited till we were at a gas station. He didn't want us to open it there. We waited till we were at a, a gas station filling up, and we opened it, and in it is this card with $500 in it. He said, I was praying, and God told me to give $500 to you guys. I'm like, man. And uh, a few months later, we were kind of in the same boat. And, uh, you know, like we were still working at Starbucks. I was looking for other jobs. We just, nothing was coming through. And it was kind of the same boat again. 
And someone had heard um, through the seminary community, they actually weren't part of the seminary community, but they lived in South Hamilton, had heard that there was this couple on campus that was having a tough time. And so the husband and wife are praying, not together, they're praying separately in their own prayer times. And God told them both the same day that we needed $1,000 to get by. And they gave us, a th- I have no, I, to this day, they wanted to remain anonymous. I have no idea who gave us that $1,000. Like, man, yeah, those other people may have been successful, but look how God has moved for me. Look at how He has moved for my family. That's far better than any dishonest gain will ever be. So we can look at our past We can look at how God has intervened and know that He's not going to leave us alone. He is going to be there for us. He is going to provide for our needs. So then, the next step then is to not really act, but to pray. That's what the psalmist did, right? He calls out for God to take care of the situation. It doesn't say take care of the situation on your own. Not that we shouldn't protect those who need it. We should do that. But we don't want to take vengeance into our own hands. Um, Breaking Bad came to mind in the first season. This guy walks in and he's uh, just your stereotype, like it's a whole bunch of stereotypes in one. He's driving a BMW. The license plate says Ken wins on it. He's talking on his phone and he pulls right in front of Walter White and into the, the parking spot. And Walter White's just like, yeah, he gets that look. Pulls into the next spot. Then they go to a gas station. And Walter White's in the gas station, and here comes Ken and his Ken Wins BMW. Pulls up, and he's now filling up, and he comes in, and he's just bragging on the phone about all these terrible things he's done, and just bad-mouthing other people. And Walter White decides to take matter into his own hands, and he goes out there, and he opens the hood of the car, he puts one of those window squeegees in, the, in between the battery terminals, causes it to short, and the car burns down. And you want to be like, yes! That's right! That's what I want to do! But that's not what you should do. Again, I'm not saying don't protect people, I'm not saying don't step in when you should, but you should not be seeking vengeance like that on people. You know, I'm sure, you know, nobody would ever do that. But you admit it, you've been tempted to, like, take the key down someone's car once or twice or something along those lines. Don't do it. That's not what God has called us to. He has said that vengeance, that's His. That sort of judgment, that's His. That's not ours. Our response should be, as the psalm, cry out to God. Cry out for God to take care of the situation. Don't sin in return. Sinning in return for sin never does you any good because you're sinning. Like, not good. Pray, cry out to God, and then have faith that He hears. That's how the psalm ends, with faith. Faith that God does hear what's going on, that He sees what's going on, and He has promised He will act. Even Stalin, who seemed like he made it all the way to the end of life, and God off scot-free has to face judgment with God. He's going to sit before God and God will bring all charges before Him. And what is He going to say? That He acted in ignorance? No, He knew what He was doing. 
he and everybody else, even if we don't see it now, will face God and justice will be done. Will be done one way or the other. Either they will have repented and come to faith in Jesus and that justice for the sin will have been poured out on Jesus on the cross. Or they will have to take that justice, that punishment themselves. God is just. No matter what it looks like is going on right now. He has been just in the past. He is just now. He will bring justice in the future. It is going to happen. Finally, I want to encourage you to read Scripture. Because oftentimes we go, God, you're not hearing me. I'm not hearing anything from you. You're far off. We always have God's Word with us. We are blessed to have that. We have, it, we have 20 different uh, you know, versions of it, translations of it, it seems like. We have God's Word with us. We can always go to it. We can hear directly from what He has already spoken. When you feel God far off, go to the Word. Go to the Word. Spend time in it. You know, um, we have phones now, so people don't really have to look at letters. Like, you want to call someone and talk to someone, you can do that right then. But my grandparents grew up in a generation where, um, even when they were first married after World War II, like, only one person in their whole neighborhood had a phone. So what they did was they wrote letters. And when you missed someone, you went back to those letters. You went back, you read those. You knew you could read their words. You knew they were true. They loved you. You knew what was going on. We have that every day. We have God's Word, the Bible. And when we don't think we can hear from Him, when He seems far off, we can have His words with us. And So I really encourage you, if you're in a time now where you feel like God is far off, Dive into the Word. Dive into it. Read it. Know that it is God's Word still speaking, still acting, and it will continue to act in the future. Let's be a church that when we see what's going on in the world, that we're not discouraged, that we're not disheartened, but we remember what God has done in our lives. And because of that, we actually draw closer to Him. We cry out to Him. And we reside in faith, knowing that He is just, and He will bring justice, and He does hear us, even now. Let's pray.